with me in prayer. Father, I do ask that you would bless the reading and proclamation of your word. And Lord, as you have instructed us here in this very passage, not to be hearers only, but doers of your word, we ask that we would give a special attention to putting your word into practice in our lives. We ask uh, in your name. Amen. You know, I've mentioned from time to time how I became a Christian uh, since I've been here. Uh, It bears repeating again briefly this morning. Uh, If you remember, I became a Christian during my freshman year in college. But I want to go back three years earlier. I made a profession of faith when I was in 10th grade when I went to church one Sunday evening with my best friend. Uh, It was one of these deals where the preacher uh, asked everyone to bow their heads with every eye closed um, after he finished the sermon. And then he asked if there's anyone uh, who is not a Christian to please raise their hand. And I was caught between the proverbial rock and a hard place. Uh, I wasn't a Christian. I knew I wasn't a Christian. But I did not want to lie to God by not raising my hand. Uh, I did not want God to then become angry at me if I lied to Him by not raising my hand and shut the door of heaven um, to me for eternity. But... Even though that was going through my head, I wasn't serious, nor was I eager to be serious about God and about trusting Him. I was on a state championship football team at the time, uh, was second in the county in our in, uh, batting average uh, behind Marquise Grissom, who is heading toward the... Um, the, the Hall of Fame, uh, Major League Baseball Hall of Fame. In other words, I was a big man on campus in my own estimation of myself. Uh, I raised my hand in an attempt to hold off God's eternal judgment. Uh, what else was I going to do? <laughs> and so I raised my hand. You young man with your hand raised, please come forward. <laughs> So I went down front, and the pastor made me repeat a prayer that he led me in. He told me that I was now a Christian, and he told me to never doubt my salvation because the devil would try and make me doubt whether I was really saved. For the next three years, um, God, not Satan, uh, but God tried to tell me that I wasn't a Christian. And I didn't listen to him because I had walked the aisle. I had prayed the prayer. I had been baptized. However, over those next three years, I only lived for myself. Uh, I was, I didn't, my life did not in any way reflect a life lived for God. I was a nominal Christian at best. I had my profession of faith from that night. Uh, I had my baptism. I had my church attendance. I had, uh, my parents took me to church growing up um, all my life. 
but even my church attendance was a bit forced <laughs> because I didn't want to get up in the morning. And so we had two German shepherds. My mom would let the German shepherds upstairs to my room and they would jump on me and lick me and everything else till I finally got out of bed and started getting ready for church. In other words, nothing in my life outside of that profession of faith, my baptism, my church attendance, nothing suggested that I was a Christian. It was not until late during my freshman year of college that I read Matthew seven twenty one through 23, and I ended up reading it several times. And it finally dawned on me by God's Holy Spirit at work in me that Jesus was talking about me when he said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. I had said, Lord, Lord, back in 10th grade, but I wasn't going to heaven. I cared nothing for wanting to do God's will. Obedience to Him was not on my list of priorities. I wanted to stay out of hell, but I wanted to do nothing to do with having a real relationship with God. I had my life goals, and God was not on my list until much later in life. I had my plan. After college, maybe I'll get married. Of course, I'll get married, have children, and I'll get serious about God at that point because, you know, I want my children to, I don't want my children to go to hell. I want them to, to live a, a moral life. Um, but uh, even though God was not really in my plan to get serious with him, I still felt like God owed me eternal life because I had made this profession of faith. Nothing, however, could have been further from the truth. Had I died uh, before I truly trusted in Christ, I would have faced Christ on the day of judgment, and he would have said to me, Depart from me. You worker of lawlessness, I never knew you. You know, I was uh, typical of so many young people who grow up in the church. I had a general belief in God. I believed that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I had called upon Jesus to save me. But my life demonstrated that my faith was not real. And this doesn't just apply to young people. Unfortunately, there are always those in the church who are nominal believers, who call themselves Christians but do not respond to Jesus' teaching in their lives, and their lives remain unchanged. The idea that one can simply call on Jesus to save you from hell while rejecting any kind of relationship or commitment uh, to Christ is an error that has been around, frankly, from the moment Jesus started preaching. Uh, In our passage this morning, this is the very issue 
that Jesus is addressing as he concludes his sermon that began way back in verse 17. In our passage, Jesus wants his hearers to examine themselves to see if they really have true saving faith. This is the Holy Spirit's purpose in including this passage in the Bible. And so the Holy Spirit this morning wants you to examine the quality of your profession of faith in Christ as you consider this passage. First of all, you can examine the quality of your faith in Christ by the fruit that is produced in your life. Look at verses 43 through 45. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of, out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks." Jesus uses this simple illustration to teach us that we can know the spiritual uh, nature of our heart by the kind of fruit that is produced in our lives. The tree represents our heart. The fruit represents our behavior. How we live our lives and what choices we make day to day uh, to uh, help us examine what's really going on inside our soul, inside our heart. There is a living, organic uh, connection between the person we are on the inside and the life we lead on the outside. Uh, The type of tree that you are drives the kind of fruit you will produce. And conversely... The fruit you produce will expose the type of tree you really are. So Jesus wants us to examine the quality of our life so that we can determine whether our our heart really loves and trusts in Him. It's easy for us to put on our Sunday best behavior, come to church for an hour, and feel like we're all right with God. But Jesus wants us to examine the quality of our profession of faith by examining the overall quality of our life. Look again at verse 45. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. The heart Jesus is saying, is the control center of a person's life. What you desire in your heart will determine the choices you make. We all know people who make incredibly unwise decisions. One foolish decision after another. And we think, can't they see what they're doing is unwise? You know, it just... it. it Uh, boggles our minds, some of the decisions that people make. And of course they know it is unwise. The problem is they desire something in their heart that they want badly, they want it badly enough that, that causes them to pursue what it is that they want, even though the consequences are going to be undesirable and harmful. 
So looking at a person's life from the outside, we wonder, why did they do this or why did they do that? But if we were able to look inside their heart, we'd see a logical link between their desires and the choices they make. Same thing for you as well. What we desire determines our behavior. So, for a person who makes incredibly faith-filled sacrifices in their service to Christ, a person who in spite of hardship they give themselves to Christ, that Christ would be honored. What's going on in their hearts? Their heart is being driven uh, and controlled by their love for the Lord Jesus. So someone who gives sacrificially or someone who gives their life to be a missionary in a third world country, what's going on in their heart? They love Christ. They love His gospel. And it determines the choices and life decisions that they make, not only on a grand scale, but also in the moment, mundane, everyday decisions we make. The heart is the control center of the, of the soul, and it determines our decision that we make and the actions that we say. Um, I almost forgot to mention the mouth, because he mentions in verse 45, look at the end of verse 45, for out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Uh, What's going on in our heart also determines our words. Philip Ryken says, The tongue is the sound system of the heart. Whatever is in our souls gets amplified whenever we put it into words. What is going on in your heart? Well, what comes out of your mouth? You know, our conversations betray us. What we want to talk about it's what we really care about. Do we build each other up in our conversations or do we tear people down? Because out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. What comes out of our mouths is like an x-ray into our hearts. Let's move on to verses 46 through 49. In verses 46 through 49, Jesus tells us that you can examine the quality of your profession in Christ by your obedience to Him. So look at verse 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? In Hebrew culture, repeating something twice was a way to, to make a point of emphasis. So by saying, Lord, Lord, these people were... Uh, given an intense profession of faith in Christ. They weren't just saying Lord casually, but Lord, Lord. But if the profession of faith does not issue forth an obedience, it shows that the profession, no matter how earnest it is made, that that profession of faith in Christ is false. Again, verse 46, so we don't miss it. Why do you call me Lord, Lord? And not do what I tell you. 
You know, the word Lord uh, in Greek, kurios, means boss. Jesus is saying, how can you call me boss, boss, when you disregard my word and do not do what I tell you? Jesus is continuing to apply the link between the tree and the fruit or the heart and the life here. He's not saying that you earn your salvation by obeying Him. Rather, He is saying that there's a link between grace and obedience. Between no grace and disobedience. If you have truly trusted in Christ, then your heart will have been changed. Everyone is born with a bad heart. Everyone is born with a sinful a God-hating heart, a self-seeking heart. And by definition, if your heart has not been changed or regenerated, if you've not been born again, then you will not desire to obey Christ. Therefore, you will not do what He says. Now, please hear me. Nobody, Nobody perfectly obeys Christ's commands. We remain sinners... But if we belong to Christ, there will be this desire to obey Him. And that desire will issue forth in discernible patterns of repentance or of obedience and repentance. We'll make choices that evidence um, the fact that our our faith in Christ is real. We will make uh, choices that evidence the fact that our heart has been made new, that we desire Christ and love Him. Our faith in Christ will cause us to mourn over the fact that we disobey Christ. Our faith in Christ will cause us to repent, to turn away from sinful behaviors in order to obey and embrace Christ's commands. We'll be growing in our love for others, even growing in our love for our enemies. We will be producing fruits of the Spirit in our lives. Our obedience will be far from perfect. But there will be discernible patterns of obedience in our lives. Why will there be these discernible patterns of obedience? Because our heart is ruled by desires that long to honor and glorify and love the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus illustrated his point by using another illustration in verses 47 through 49. Instead of trees and fruit, he spoke of two builders and two buildings. Verses 47 through 49. Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the streams broke against it or against that house and it could and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who has built his house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell and the ruin of that house was great. So the first builder here is someone who comes to Jesus. He even says, uh, verse 41, everyone who comes to me and hears my word. So this person comes to Jesus, listens to his word, and then most importantly, and does his word, puts his word into practice. The most important thing then about the house 
that is being built is that it is the man dug down deep and built his house on a solid foundation. Or I should say on the solid foundation. Jesus is likening our house to a building. His point is that everyone is building a house, so to speak. Every one of you, if you know nothing about carpentry or uh, engineering or anything like that, you're still building a house. Because here in this passage, what Jesus is doing is talking about the way we live our lives. We are building our life by the choices we make, by the behaviors we act upon. It's a vivid way of asking us, what does your, your life amount to? Is your house built for the long haul? Is it built for eternity? Is it built to be God-honoring? Or are you only living for the present? Are you living your life for God? Or are you living your life only for self-gratification? How does one build their house or build their life to be eternal and God-honoring? Well, Jesus gives us a hint in verse 48 when he says, The person who obeys God's word digs deep and lays the house, lays the foundation of the house on the rock. Not just any rock, but the rock. And as Jesus makes clear in his teaching throughout the Gospels, he identifies himself as the only true rock. In fact, Paul picked up on this in 1 Corinthians 3.11. He says, No one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Jesus says that, the, that um, in your life there will be challenges, there will be temptations, there will be tests, things that happen in your life that test your faith. He says this at the end of verse 48. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and it could not shake it because it had been well built. A life built on Jesus Christ will withstand the storms of life. But in verse 49, we meet another man. A man who hears the gospel. A man who listens to God's word, but does not put it into practice. Look again at verse 49. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built his house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. He hears the word, but he does not put it into practice. You know, he represents all those who say, Lord, Lord, but do not find it important to obey Christ. And this man, too, builds a house. We all build a house. We're all building a life. But this house has no foundation. Do you see that? In Matthew 7, when Jesus used the same illustration, he said that the house was built on a foundation of sand. Here he, he doesn't talk about sand. He says this foundation, this house has no foundation whatsoever. This house, when faced with the storms of life, immediately fell apart 
its ruin was great. You know, I ask these uh, diagnostic questions to people all the time. You know, if you die tonight, do you know whether you go to heaven? Uh, let's say you did die and you stood before God and God said, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? You know, when, when I ask people, and even people who have been raised in church, people who have heard the gospel all their life, they look at me with this blank stare and they say, that's a really good question. <laughs> yeah, that's an eternal question. But they act like they've never heard it before. Because even though the gospel was preached over and over to them, it never registered because they never put their faith into practice. It just went by them. They never stopped long enough to think about it because they were only interested in putting their life plans into practice, not God's plans for them. We have a solid foundation in Jesus Christ. When we entrust ourselves to Him, He removes everything that stands in the way of us having a relationship with God. Uh, from having everything that, that, that stands in the way from us having a full, complete, unhindered relationship with God. He takes away our sin and guilt. He takes away our spiritually dead and rebellious hearts. He takes away our slavery to sin. And He doesn't stop there. He gives us a new heart and a new life. He gives us His Holy Spirit to live inside us, to empower us to live according to God's Word, to, to empower us to obey Christ's teachings. He gives us the body of Christ that encourages us in our pursuit of Christ. In Christ, we have everything we need in order to live for Him, in order to obey Him, in order to have a full, complete, unhindered relationship with Almighty God. That being said, nominal Christianity is very widespread. Many make excuses for their lack of love and trust in Christ. Many have plans to get serious about their relationship with God later in life. Many are on the broad road that leads to destruction. Many are saying, Lord, Lord, and they all will hear, on the day of judgment, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. What is the quality of your faith? What is the quality of your profession of faith in Christ? Don't leave here this morning without asking that question seriously and answering it before the Lord. I want to conclude by telling you a short story to encourage those of you that love the Lord Jesus, that want to be even more diligent about putting Christ's Word into practice uh, into your lives by God's grace. And the story is this. There was a young Korean man that traveled a great distance from his home to go visit a missionary who had uh, led him to Christ. And when he got there... He announced his reason for the visit. He said to the missionary, I have been memorizing some verses of the Bible, and I want to quote them to you. 
The missionary listened as the young man recited without error the entire Sermon on the Mount. So this young man had memorized Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. And he commended the young man for the remarkable feat of memory. Then, being a good missionary, he cautioned the man not to only say the scriptures, but to practice them. And the, the man, young man replied, Oh, that is the way I learned them. I tried to memorize them, but they would not stick, so I made a plan. First, I would learn a verse. And then I would go put that verse into practice with my neighbor. After that, I found that I could remember it. It is in the doing of the Word of God that growth in discipleship takes place. Christ has done everything you need to have a relationship with God. The man who built his house on, a, on the rock, he worked hard. If you look again at verse 48, he dug deep. The man did not simply let go and let God. It takes discipline to work at understanding the Scriptures. It takes, pers- uh, it takes patience to persevere in prayer. It takes courage to put sinful desires to death. It takes dedication to grow in new areas of obedience. It takes sacrifice, um, self-sacrifice to serve others instead of ourselves. And above all, it takes an ongoing faith in Christ to trust in Him as we endure the storms and trials of life. God is at work in you, those of you who belong to Jesus Christ. He has promised to continue working in you. So work hard in your growth and grace. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, you have been very clear in this passage. It is stunning that we can so easily pass over this passage into nominal Christianity. Lord, I ask that you would pour out your Holy Spirit as your word has been read and as as it has been proclaimed, I pray that you would minister to our hearts, expose our hearts, expose the quality of our faith, that we might long for the Lord Jesus even more. For those who do not know him, bring them to the joy of knowing him. Bring them into his salvation, we ask in his name. Amen.